1: Welcome to the Insurance Coffee House, the place where you get the chance to meet and learn from some of the most successful insurance business leaders on the planet. On today's episode, I am delighted to be joined by a very special guest, Phil Barton, CEO of Partners Anne. Welcome to the show, Phil. It's
0: a pleasure to be here, Nick.
1: Thank you, Phil. It's it's great to have you joining us today. Now, Phil has an incredible reputation in the UK insurance market, so I'm sure our friends and colleagues Across the sector, will have a great understanding of your career to date, particularly your time as the CEO of Jelf. But for our American and international colleagues who may be less aware, I just wondered if we could start off by sharing a little bit about your time at Jelf and your achievements there.
0: Well, I joined GELF in uh, 2003, having uh, been in the manufacturing space in the life insurance industry for 20 years prior to that. Having decided that I wanted to move across to distribution and be involved in the broking industry, I became a management consultant actually, advising insurance brokers and financial planners on how they created their client strategy and how they differentiated their proposition for clients. And having advised Yale for a little while, uh, they became, as I say, uh, they offered me the opportunity of executing upon the ideas that I'd put forward to them. So I started off as the marketing director at Jelf and pretty much fulfilled uh, most of the directorial roles in the firm over the next 17 years. I was the compliance director, the acquisitions director, the commercial director uh, before becoming the CEO of the insurance business and then ultimately the group CEO in 2015 when, when Jelf sold to Marsh McLennan. Great. And do you feel that time working across that,
1: the C-suite on the board at Jelf helped you with your time as CEO there? Uh,
0: absolutely. Um, you know, I firmly believe that if you're going to work with people, uh, whether it's clients or colleagues, then you really need to sit in their chair and understand their issues and challenges. And of course, if you've done their role, uh, you understand a little more about the challenges and pressures that they face on a day-to-day basis.
1: Sure. And if you could maybe give our listeners a little insight into the changes there during your time at Jelf. I know there's significant growth and the business really went for a really successful period during that time.
0: Yes. When I joined Jelf, it had less than 50 people and approximately 5 million of revenue. And uh, we wow. saw the UK market consolidating and wanted to be a part of that felt that uh, we could stay ahead of the curve and uh, rather than be consolidated ourselves, be a catalyst for bringing together uh, great broking businesses. Over the years, we grew that to uh, when I left Yelp in March 2019, we had 2,800 people and 240 million of revenue. Wow. We conducted 44 acquisitions and had established ourselves as a leading player in the SME and mid-market space in the United Kingdom. Wow, wow, the incredible achievement.
1: And our listeners would be pleased to hear that, that, that you've not stopped there and um, you've, you've now got your new new venture, Partners And. Give us a little bit more information about the business, where it stands to date, and your plans for future. Well, Partners
0: And is designed to be a uh, next generation advisory business, delivering a seamless advice solution to uh, mid-market, owner-managed SME clients across the UK. We are, by nature, seeking to utilize technology to enable advice of a great quality. So we want to be the best advisory business in the UK. We have no ambition to be the biggest, uh, but we do intend to be the best. We think the market has been commoditizing itself over the last few years and has lost sight of the importance of advice Uh, insurance is a very complex instrument and clients need advice they live in a complex world yeah and uh we believe that advice is at a premium in the market today so do you think that the
1: space the insurance market in at the moment with the range of risks and the complex risks that, that, that are there today that perhaps were not there 20 30 years ago as, as a new business do you think that can put you right at the forefront
0: well i think uh the consolidation of the market has um brought uh, a short-termism within mm-hmm. and the people are, are looking to frankly make profits at the expense of clients rather than by serving them so as a, as a business Setting itself out as uh, highly competent, technically capable, but with a real passion for client service, uh, we think we are differentiated uh, anyway. You know, we, we think that emerging risks are a big challenge for clients, whether they're cyber or yeah. some of the issues that have been prevalent as a consequence of COVID-19 all raised the uh, awareness of risk amongst clients and uh, we believe increased the demand for high quality advice fantastic fantastic thank you phil for, for for
1: that background i think that'd be really useful for our listeners to hear before we delve into the main body of our interview today but if i start off we are, we are in the insurance coffee house today so what, what's your coffee of choice in the morning phil
0: Well, I must admit, I live in Cheltenham and uh, I have a fabulous little independent coffee shop just around the corner from where I live, a little place called uh, Havana Coffee. So uh, I tend to uh, idle around there early in the morning and and pick up a a skinny flat white. So, uh, yeah, that gets me going in the beginning of the day.
1: Very nice. I'll I'll, I'll make a note of that next time I'm in the, the Cheltenham region. Phil, I'd love to just start now and kick off our interview today. So, Let me start by asking you, what do you do personally on a daily basis to help set you up for a successful day?
0: I think there's a couple of things uh, I do. First and foremost, uh, I never start a day without having planned it uh, at least the day before. So I take some time at the end of the prior day to think about the forthcoming day and uh, lay out what I'm seeking to achieve from each of the meetings that I have planned. And I think that's a key part of preparing and making sure that the day is as effective as it can be i also uh, on the morning uh, really enjoy exercise i've been on my uh, training bike this morning first thing fantastic this way to kick off kick off a day burn off some calories uh, pick up 30 40 kilometers or something on a training bike and set the day up uh, in the right uh, with the right mindset
1: fantastic so a good fresh start in the morning for you with a fresh mind from the planning that you've put in place from the night before Phil we understand that in order to be a successful insurance business leader there's often adversity to to overcome along the way so can I ask you as well as your biggest success and your biggest achievement to date what has also been your largest setback and what steps did you take to turn that around
0: yeah, I think my uh, largest success would be what we did in GELF between 2010 and 2015. A uh, post-credit crunch, uh, there were challenges. we had been a buy and build strategy. We had a significant proportion of debt, and we perhaps had not integrated the businesses we'd acquired as well as we might have done. Some would have described GELF at that point as a little bit of an ugly duckling, actually, a child of acquisition. You know, we had 27 trading styles, five operating systems. Uh, we used 450 insurance markets. and um, We needed to transform that into an independent, singular insurance-broking business with a common culture, a common uh, market strategy, financial management strategy, and, of course, people's strategy. And uh, over the next five years, my executive team and myself uh, I think did that, culminating in Gelf picking up the three big industry awards in the UK: the uh, UK Broker of the Year, the National Broker of the Year, and lastly the British Insurance Awards uh, Insurance Broker of the Year. So held all three industry gongs at the same time in 2015, which culminated in the sale of Gelf to Marsh at the end of that year. On the flip side, I think probably my biggest reversal would have been uh, my time at uh, AXA. I'd been headhunted by AXA um, from my position as UK sales director at Prudential. Uh, I took the role as managing director of sales at uh, AXA Life with a pretty big ambition to transform that business from a 370 million business to 560 in a pretty short order. Things were going quite well until 9-11, okay. and some of the issues that, that brought to bear in terms of profitability, the plan became challenged and as a consequence changed to one of the husbanding resources and that really wasn 't what i'd gone there to do so uh, that was that was a challenge. I also felt that uh, culture didn 't really suit me in a, a super large corporate like AXA. Mm. Uh, I prefer to be in a smaller team, and um, you know, I left after two and a half years and reflected on uh, my time there. And actually, that was a catalyst for me moving across from being in uh, manufacturing space to to being on the distribution side of our industry. And uh, the rest is history. It's been great fun, and I think all of the action has been in uh, in the breaking. Uh, area over the last 20 years so uh, you know whilst it was a reversal it was the catalyst for me transitioning my career to the broken side of the
1: thank thank you phil and that that leads on very nicely to our question actually so we we know that most insurance professionals fall into the industry and i know that not a lot of our uh, listeners will know that, that you're actually a professional footballer before your time in insurance and they've had a very good career in in semi-professional football but what what was your light bulb moment once you joined the industry where you knew you could be successful was it that time when you moved from insurer to to broker or or was there another moment in your career
0: well I, I joined the industry in uh, 1983 and I uh, as you said I I did that to complement what I was doing on on a football field and it was a very accommodating very flexible career I actually really um my career kicked on when I joined Scottish Amicable in the, in the mid-1980s as a life inspector. And I quickly became pretty successful as a, as a life inspector in, in the Southwest. Uh, and that culminated in me getting a very early opportunity to um, move to Glasgow into the head office of Scottish Amicable to set up their key accounts team. So I became a, a key accounts manager. I think I was 26 at the time. I was walking into the uh, boardrooms of the global brokers, cutting a multi-million pound deals on uh, on the life and pensions marketplace, and that was a phenomenal experience. I was working alongside the managing director of uh, Scottish Amicable as well. I was connected with the board, and for a 26 year old. Uh, that was a fantastic experience and something, uh, it was a challenging thing to take on. Uh, I'd been a very successful sales guy and uh, I actually took quite a reduction in salary in order to take that role. But I felt that the experience I'd gained from it would stand me in good stead in later life. So. Fantastic.
1: You had an opportunity to work with board members and sh- senior insurance business leaders from a from a very early age and you had that exposure. Early on in your career,
0: yeah, that was. Uh, I had a great sponsor in the business, and uh, that was a great opportunity, which I, I grasped with both hands. And uh, frankly, never looked back as a as a consequence. So, uh, yeah, I, I would say that decision probably halved my revenue, halved my salary to go and do that job. There was some promotion in those days. Oh. <laughs> I, I did it because of the experience, and it paid off in the long term.
1: And that's a great decision. Something that we often have challenging conversations with some of our clients and some of our senior candidates about opportunity versus current salary and future potential. But it sounds like that paid off dividends for you, Phil. Phil, who has been the most
0: influential mentor or leader that you've worked with and what have you learned from them? I think I've probably had uh, two key people in my career. The first, and it would be right to, to mention him, would have been my father a great inspiration. He's uh, still running his own engineering business at the ripe old age of 82. He, uh, he, he, he was an incredible entrepreneur and uh, you know, fundamentally believed that he could achieve anything he wanted to. He could achieve anything he set out to do. and He instilled that belief in me and I'm hugely appreciative of that. I've also taken um, the advice of a, an external coach for the last 20 years, a chap called Mel Toto uh, at Arwell Douglas, fantastic guy, an inspirational guy, actually, in many ways. And he's, he's been a, a great sounding board for me and a, and a great coach for me in some uh, some challenging issues. You know, when you get to the C suite when you get to the, being a CEO, it can be a lonely place. And uh, the idea that you don't need a coach at that point in time is completely wrong. Mm. You're bumping into more complex problems than you've ever bumped into. You're bumping into problems that you've never seen before. And I think one of the the best decisions I took was to engage with Mel uh, all those years ago to, to help me navigate uh, the C suite and ensure that uh, I maximize my potential.
1: Thank you, Phil. And I um, do certainly appreciate that a lot of C suite do have their own coaches. Would you, would you recommend, though, someone who is an Sparring business leader to maybe invest in a coach in earlier stages of their career to help them navigate that path?
0: Absolutely. I think in any other walk of life, particularly sport, we were talking about football earlier, a coach is an everyday occurrence. Mm. You wouldn't achieve your optimal performance without mm. a coach. So, why is business any different? Mm. Uh, if you're truly seeking to be the very best you can be, then I think it's an investment well made and uh, you know I've, I've certainly benefited from the support of Mel Toto over the years. Fantastic. We've had a great
1: look back at your career and some of the achievements to date so far. But if I can ask you now to look forward over the next couple of years, say the next three to five years, how do you see the insurance market developing and what do you think insurance business leaders should be doing so they can be successful in those times.
0: Well, of course, I think there are going to be big changes around uh, from a regulatory perspective and from a technological perspective. Technology is moving on uh, rapidly. It's been amazing through COVID nineteen how the insurance broking sector has moved more, perhaps, in three months than it had done in the prior thirty years. Yeah, uh, the use of Zoom, I and mean, we're in a, a Zoom conversation today. Uh, so. Uh, I think technology is going to play a big part. I think that'll lead to um, more focus on data analytics, on data-driven conversations, on data and uh, AI informing advice. Mm. I think uh, there are hugely powerful uh, tools uh, from a technological perspective that can contribute to the advice that uh, one offers clients. So I think they are key. I think advice is key as well. The market has been strangely keen to commoditize itself, simplify itself. And uh, as I said earlier, I think we live in a complex world. I think clients are incredibly risk-aware. And I think there is a a groundswell of opinion, a tsunami of need, of people needing advice and wanting advice. And I believe they'll pay for it. I also think the industry needs to redesign its economics. I think any, any industry where 40p in the pound of a customer's expenditure is uh, invested in the cost of distribution yeah. is too high. It's, uh, it's ripe for change, either a challenge from the regulator or the intrusion of a, a disruptor. And so I think there is some rebalancing of the economics in our sector that's going to be required. And insurers are acutely aware of the risks they're taking, not least because of COVID-19. Now, they've got billions of capital at risk as a consequence of the global pandemic. Yet, they've lost control somewhat of the value chain. And the distributor, the broker, has largely run off with the crown jewel. So I think the industry does need to rebalance. Mm. Brokers need to invest more in technology to enable them to deliver a first-class service in a more economic way.
1: And you quite rightly say, the last three months, there's just been a huge change across the way brokers and insurance companies are now using technologies pretty much because they've had to. But do you think that is now a change they're going to need to want to do in the future and embrace that change? to be successful?
0: Yeah, I think there'll be two schools of, of brokers. Brokers who, the minute they can, step back to the way they were operating before, and others who will have learned from the experience and will embed some of those learnings in their, their future practice. You know, Zoom offers a fantastic opportunity to have a more intense and regular communication dialogue contact strategy with clients. You know, with a large client, you may be meeting them in the old world twice, maybe three times a year. But Zoom enables you to speak on a much more regular basis, to have much more specific discussions with clients. And I think if we use that technology smartly, we can use it to enhance and enrich the relationship rather than just drive effic- efficiency.
1: So it's enhancing that advisory piece as opposed to replacing it. And I imagine if you're then speaking to your clients on a monthly basis or bi-monthly basis and information that you're going to be getting from those clients is going to be more valuable in the fact that you'll be able to advise better and more more accurately their risk.
0: Well, you then become a part of that team. Yeah. I've always philosophically believed in the renewal process being a 365-day process. Mm. Too many brokers uh, only really become interested in clients two months, three months prior to their renewal date. And that's completely wrong. If we are going to offer a seamless advice service across a broad range of services, which is certainly what Partners and Mm -hmm. is set out to do, then we need to engage with the client. We need to understand their decision-making rhythm, and we need to be a part of those decisions throughout the whole year. So, yeah, regular contact at an appropriate time for the client uh, enables you to deliver timely and more precise advice, which is exactly what clients need in the complex world
1: we live in. Fantastic. Thank you, Phil. And we're now going to move on to the second round of our interview today, the, the espresso round. So the questions are short, sharp, and straight to the point. So, Phil, can I ask you, are you ready for the espresso round? Yeah, let's crack on. Let's crack on, indeed.
0: The Espresso Round.
1: Bill, to start off with, what is your favourite success
0: quote? I'm not sure it's a success quote, but the uh, quote I find myself repeating most is that culture eats strategy for breakfast, uh, Peter Drucker's quote. You know, it's all about people in our industry. And so getting the right culture and creating an environment of support and encouragement is critical to the success of any broken business.
1: Fantastic. And Phil, what do you see as the number one thing holding back insurance professionals from being more successful?
0: My observation of the industry generally is there's a lot of investment made in technical capability and that technical capability is absolutely necessary but perhaps not sufficient. Hmm. If one thing I could sprinkle across the industry would be a real passion for sitting in the client's chair, for uh, assuming the client's perspective, and for looking for solutions to solve the problems the clients face rather than uh, simply promote product. Fantastic. And I suppose what you were saying earlier about having more regular
1: contact through the use of technology will just enable and enhance that further. Bill, how do you drive forward the standards of the insurance industry at Partners End?
0: Well, first and foremost, we're a chartered firm. So we take very seriously the ethics related to the industry and our professional development uh, and qualifications. So we uh, lean into that heavily. We have regular tech talks via webinar for our people. We promote examination qualifications. We reward our people when they Attain those examinations, and we run very regular L and D sessions. Everybody has a performance uh, improvement plan. Everyone has a personal development plan. So I think we commit to enabling our team to be the very best they can be, and uh, you know that's what creates a a learning environment, a learning culture, and enables us to encourage our team to achieve their their goals. Yeah, that's fantastic, and it
1: sounds like a great opportunity. If in, in terms of um, people out there who are, who are looking to be successful insurance business leaders, how do you develop that talent at Partners' and, and how do you maximise their chances of reaching their career potential?
0: Well, that's part of the everyday relationship that a leader would have with a member of their team. You know, I believe passionately in coaching – and enabling people to consider options, determine the best strategy, and then review how those uh, development opportunities actually uh, rolled out and manifested themselves. So coaching is a a key part of uh, what we want to do. Uh, We also run a, a shadow board so that our younger generation can get a sense of some of the decisions that uh, pass across our executive on a on a weekly monthly basis so that informs them gives them some understanding of some of the challenges that they might face and you know we as an executive are very very proactive very keen to engage with uh, with our team you know learning and development engagement succession planning as well as the whole leadership and culture piece, I think are the hallmarks of partners. And uh, there's only two types of people that are critical to the success of a broken business. And that's clients and the team that you work with. And we focus all of our efforts on, on both of those stakeholders.
1: And uh, I, love, I love that opportunity of being on the, on the shadow board. Could you give, just give us a little bit more of an insight into, to how that works for, for those people?
0: Well, they uh, are on a rotation basis. They effectively get the opportunity to discuss the issues that uh, the board would be discussing at any one time. Those ideas are then uh, discussed with individual board members. And there's an opportunity for effectively each member of the shadow board to spend time with each member of the executive committee to discuss their views and opinions and perhaps learn a little bit from the experience of the executive. So it's pretty intimate and intense contact between the the two the two parties. And this is all about bringing the next generation on, enabling them to be the best they can be and preparing them for the challenges ahead. We're a young business mm. partner. More than 50, 50% of our team are Millennials, or indeed uh, Generation X. So um, we believe passionately in, in giving people careers in our organisation and enabling them to take over from people like me at the appropriate time.
1: And I love that attitude, Phil, of actually preparing them. So you, you know they're going to be moving into leadership positions in the future. So it's not just about developing and ma- maximising their chance of success. It's actually preparing them for that time that they're going to have in the future
0: responsibility of an employer to enable their team to be the best they can be and to acquire new skills. Mm. Hopefully, once those skills are acquired, then there'll be an opportunity for the individual to demonstrate those skills within the organization. And uh, it's a two-way relationship between the employer and the employee.
1: Great. Phil, I'd just like to bring you now to, to the final question of the espresso round. I think particularly pertinent question for where you are today. So if you woke up tomorrow morning with all of the experience and all the knowledge that you've built up over the last 30 years as an insurance business leader, how would you go about starting a new business again and what steps would you take in order for that business to be successful?
0: It's uh, an entirely upside question, isn't it, yeah. having just experienced that once I left marsh in 2019 you know what I chose to do was uh, recharge the batteries a little bit first and then spend some really concentrated time reflecting on uh, my experiences my impressions and beliefs in the market I took some counsel spoke to some white folk that I know in the organi- in the industry and started forming a view of what the challenges were in the marketplace, so I was very committed to returning to the, the industry uh, with a business that had a very clear purpose, a very clear set of values, and that was set to be a, a legacy business. So I think the key is take time to plan, take time to reflect, set your stall out with the business that you want to lead, and then give it your whole. 100% effort. Uh, it's been a, an exciting um, first few months for Partners Anne. We've launched the business in the middle of a lockdown, in the middle of COVID-19, which has been a phenomenal experience. Uh, we've made, in, in the last six months, four acquisitions. We're growing rapidly through lockdown. We've made nobody a furloughed. Our revenues are up, our profits are up, we, we are a, a very purpose-driven business and we're having a lot of fun doing it, uh, advising clients, so yeah, it's exciting.
1: Phil, we discussed previously about how you've now had the opportunity to actually start again after such a successful career and very few people have that opportunity. How, how are you finding that and how do you draw upon those previous experiences?
0: You know, it's a privilege to be building a business from a blank piece of paper, from a, a plan, an idea. Uh, you don't have any of the legacy. You don't have to fix anything first before you can move on. And so uh, partners and has given me a great opportunity to build the business I've always wanted to build. You know, we're about challenging the marketplace and being the best advisory business in the UK. And uh, that blank piece of paper has enabled us to think very clearly about the client proposition we want to bring to bear, but also the proposition for our people that we want to uh, develop. And uh, without the constraints of uh, the legacy businesses that uh, others might have to suffer with, we've been able to execute that in double-quick time. So it's a privilege it's a great opportunity it's why we've been able to launch a business at such pace mm. uh, with such clarity of purpose and uh, yeah it's 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 fun you know when you're building a business to create a legacy when you're building a business because you want to create the best team you've ever created then every day is exciting every day is a, an opportunity to take a step in the right direction and uh, that's what's driving Myself, that's what's driving our business and that's what's driving the executive team uh, to deliver something pretty special in the market.
1: That sounds very fun and I'm sure your, your team really enjoy the opportunity they have of working with someone like yourself in launching a new business. Phil, we're almost at the end of our time today. Before we finish, can I ask you for your one piece of closing advice and how do our listeners go about contacting you after the show?
0: I think... My advice would be evaluate every day against the yardstick of having done something which was solely on a client's agenda, where there was no material benefit for you, but there was a potential material benefit for your client. Introduce your client to another person that might supply them or offer advice to them. Seek to support them in some way which is way beyond the insurance agenda. I think that's my measure of a successful day. Can you look yourself in the mirror and say, yeah, I've I've done something for a client which was purely on their agenda, um, looking at the world purely from their client's perspective. In terms of contact, my uh, email address is phil.barton at partnersand.com. I'm also pretty active on LinkedIn, so you'll be able to find me there. And uh, it would be great to reach out and speak to anybody who's uh, been listening to this interview. Thanks for your time, Nick.
1: Thank you, Phil. And thank you for sharing those contact details. We'll ensure we put them on the show notes so our listeners can reach out for you. Phil, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a real privilege to have you on the show. Really enjoyed spending this time with you. I think our listeners would have gained some really, really valuable insights and we'll have some takeaways there which will help them with their careers. To all our listeners out there, whether you're based in the UK, the United States or across the world, we thank you for listening to us today and we hope that you have enjoyed hearing from Phil. If you enjoyed the show, please do leave us a review on iTunes or your podcast app and make sure that you download and subscribe to the show so that you receive each one of our episodes directly into your inbox. Till next time, I've been Nick Hoadley and this has been the Insurance Coffeehouse. Take care.
0: You've been listening to the Insurance Coffee House with Nick Hoadley. Join us next time to hear more insights and inspiring success stories to help you become a better insurance business leader. Available to download or subscribe now.